Welcome back to the Brave Girl Gather B1 Study Podcast. Hi! That's my brave girl, and you are listening to Episode 5 of our Better Word series, the teaching that pairs with the study content of Week 4. Hi guys, welcome to our first night on our Skype watch party. We are here together watching this teaching, and I'm so excited. I'm certainly not excited about the circumstances under which we're meeting, but I am so encouraged by all that God is doing in the middle of this time. You know, uh, several weeks ago, I told you guys about some text messages that I got that were very heavy in nature. And I have received a couple of those text messages during this time, but I also want to let you know that I've also heard some really good things that are happening. I've gotten some encouraging news. And so that's where I want to start tonight. I want to start talking about the places where we can start to get discouraged, start to grumble. You know, back in January of this year, my whole family came down with the flu. And I'm not going to mention any names, but sometimes some of those who get sick in this household, by the way, this is my house. Uh, I'm hosting from my house tonight. Uh, But some of those in my home, when they get sick, they are not the easiest to take care of, if you know what I'm saying. And so as I'm taking care of them, I'm trying to do my best. I'm trying not to grumble. I'm trying not to complain. But then I start to let it get to me, you know, a week into this. And you guys should have seen me, you know, you would say I was COVID ready. I had my Lysol in one hand and my my Clorox wipes in the other, when you could get those, by the way. And I was just cleaning everything, trying to make sure that no one else would get sick. But we, it just took us out like dominoes, including and eventually myself. But about halfway through this debacle, uh, I'm starting to grumble. I'm starting to feel it, you know, and uh, my daughter comes into the kitchen and just vomits all, I know TMI, right? Vomits all over the floor. And I'm like, oh, here we go. Just pull up all the kindness you can muster and help her right now. And so we take her to the bathroom and I sit her down on the edge of the tub and I grab some towels and throw them in the kitchen. And I go back to her and I just start help, helping her get cleaned up. I'm washing her feet. She's got to throw up on her feet. And then she looks at me and she says, you guys, she says, mommy, This reminds me of when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And in that moment, I have felt the kindness of God, his mercy wrapped around me when I had been grumbling and ungrateful. He just came through and he told me, I see you right now. I see what you're doing. And I'm sure a lot of us are going to be navigating these waters and there's new things that are going to be coming up that we have to deal with that are hard. And I just want to encourage you to look for the places where God is trying to show you that he sees you in his mercy. And if you are following along on tonight's handout, the first fill in the blank is we receive mercy. When we jumped into the study this week, we were finishing up the end of Hebrews chapter four. So if you have a Bible, get it out, open up to the end of chapter four, the book of Hebrews. It says, starting in verse 14, so then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly then to what we believe. And that is a word for today because we are in a time where we can be tempted to let go of what we believe. You know, we talked about last week, fixing our eyes on our problems and our worries instead of fixing our eyes and beholding Jesus who's going to carry us through this time. When we started this study, we started in the book of Genesis, a story of Cain and Abel. And in Genesis chapter four, God said to Cain, he said, sin is crouching at the door. 
It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And I believe that word sin can very easily be replaced with the word fear. Fear is crouching. It's crouching at the door and it's waiting for you to invite it in. It's waiting for you to open the door and let it come in. And I believe the way that it comes in is through our worries and our doubts. When we start looking ahead, you know, God's been echoing in my mind over and over. Mandy, live in the moment. Stay right here in the moment. You want to know why? Because in this moment, I have everything I need. And I just wonder if you examined your life right now, in this very moment, do you have everything you need? Because God promises, we hold tightly to the promise that he will provide everything we need. In Matthew chapter six, it talks about the birds and how God takes care of the birds. And if he's gonna take care of the birds, how much more is he gonna take care of you and me? In Matthew chapter six, it says not to worry about tomorrow because tomorrow is gonna worry about itself. You don't need to worry about tomorrow. You need to stay right here in today. And it also says in that same chapter to seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added unto you. All these things that you're tempted to worry about when you seek him and you seek his righteousness and you behold Jesus are going to be added back unto you. Verse 15, chapter four, verse 15, this high priest of ours, Jesus, who understands our weaknesses, he understands what we're going through. For he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I love that we will receive mercy and we will find grace. As sin crouches at the door, as fear crouches at the door, God has given us everything we need to rule over it, including his kindness and his mercy and his grace. You know, uh, in our history lesson this week in school and in homeschool, uh, we were talking about Martin Luther. He lived during the Middle Ages and he was famous for nailing something called the 95 Thesis to the Church door, the Roman Catholic Church. And what this 95 thesis outlined were 95 kind of things that he wanted to contest or have a debate about in regards to the church. And the reason why he did this is because he had studied the book of Romans. He was a monk. He spent his time, you know, he gave his life over to the Lord and he'd spent all this time in the book of Romans. And what he was finding out is God is not a God who wants me to do all of these things. I don't have to work out my own righteousness. He is a God of mercy and he is a God of grace. And Martin Luther wanted the church to know and he wanted the people to know and understand the truth about who God is. And in the children's history book, the author kind of compared Martin Luther's old way of thinking and his new way of thinking to two aunts. And the first aunt, which was his old way of thinking, is kind of how like uh, an aunt who has the perfect living room, you know, everything's white, white carpet. And you come in the house and she is like, okay, be careful. Are you clean? You know, okay, maybe you can go sit over there. And then she's trying to be a good aunt. So she gives you a piece of chocolate because, you know, aunts give their nieces and nephews gifts. And so she, she gives you chocolate, but then you kind of get chocolate on your hand and it kind of gets on her couch. And then she really gets angry and she calls your mom to come pick you up and put you out on the steps. And then the other aunt is how Martin Luther 
began to see God after studying Romans. And that's the aunt who invites you in. You know, she tells you, hey, go wash your hands. I got a place over here for you. She pulls you up a chair to the table where she's got some cookies and milk and a little napkin in case you make a mess. And if you get a little chocolate on your face, she comes over and she goes, hey, let's let's get that off. Uh, I wonder how you see God. I wonder how you see Jesus. Do you see Jesus like that first aunt or do you see him like the second one who wants to come alongside you in your trouble and in your temptation because he suffered the same temptations that we have and he has compassion on us and he wants to come alongside us and he wants to help us. As it says in verse two of chapter five, he is able to deal gently with us. So now we're going to move into chapter five and the first 10 verses outline the makings of a good priest and the sufficiency of Christ as our perfect high priest. The first four verses outline the Aaronic priesthood or the Levitical priesthood, which was the priesthood of the Old Testament. And in this priesthood, you became a priest because you were born into the tribe of Levi. And so it wasn't just something that was handed over to you. You didn't sign up for it. You weren't voted on. You were born into the priesthood. And in this priesthood, the priests would bring the sacrifices into the temple. They were the only ones who could go into the high, the great high priest was the only one who could go into the most holy place on the day of atonement. And and he would offer sacrifices for his sins and the sins of the people. He would sprinkle blood over the, the mercy seat inside the most holy of holies. And he, so he was this intercessor between the people and God. And we're going to learn even more about that in the next week of our study content. But I just wanted to give you a little highlight of that now. And so we have Jesus, you know, during this time, there might've been a little bit of an argument going on because Jesus did not come from the tribe of Levi. He wasn't born out of that lineage. So some of the Hebrews might've been saying, Well, how can he be the great high priest? He wasn't born. He didn't come through the tribe of Levi. Well, it says right here that God has called him son. God says, I am your father and you are my son. And in another passage, it says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so you might be looking at that Melchizedek. We're going to talk about him more as well a little bit in the future. But Melchizedek is this this priest who shows up in the Old Testament and Abraham offers a tithe to him. Abraham, forefather of the faith, um, he, he sees him as a priest and he interacts with him as a high priest. And so we see that he had a priesthood about him. But the thing is, is that in the Old Testament, there was no lineage of Melchizedek and we don't see when Melchizedek dies. So there's no beginning and there's no end to Melchizedek. So we see Jesus, God has told Jesus, you are a priest in the order of Melchizedek. You do not come from an earthly priesthood. You come from a heavenly priesthood that has no beginning and no end. And this is what I believe that God wants us to get out of this portion of the text. If Jesus is the great high priest, and if you were born in the Levite tribe, and you become part of the priesthood because of your birthright, And we are born again into the family of God over which Jesus is the high priest. Then that makes us priests as well. And so that is your second fill in the blank. We have become the priesthood. And we talked about this last week a little bit. We talked about the verse in 1 Peter 2.9 where it says we are a royal priesthood. And so we have to, you know, kind of consider that. Do we realize the magnitude of what God has gifted us in Jesus? That we are priests 
in a royal priesthood under the great high priest, Jesus. And we see that Jesus as our high priest deals gently with us. It says that he's able to deal gently with those who have went wayward. How do we deal with those who are going wayward? Are we gentle? Are we kind? Are we beckoning people back to God? You know, it says in the scriptures that we are ambassadors for Christ, that, that it's like God is making his appeal through us. Jesus is in heaven. We're here and Jesus is in us. And we are the priests that are reconciling people back to God. We are intercessors for God, bringing people back. You know, the, the title of this study is Better Word, Redeeming the Broken Ground. And how God wants to use us in the lives of others is he wants us to represent him his kindness, his mercy, and his grace. And he wants us to reconcile his people back to him. In verse seven, it says, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Jesus suffered here on earth. And I believe that this particular passage is talking about right before Jesus went to the cross, he went into the garden of Gethsemane and he cried out to God and he said, if there's another way, please, God, let's do it if there's another way. But then he says, if there's not another way, then I trust you. Your will be done, not mine. If you say it's what needs to be done, then I will do it. And I believe that that's what God is calling us into is lives surrendered over to him that no matter what it looks like, God, if this is your will, if this is your way, then I trust you. I'll follow you into these unknown places and I, I can just give you my heart and my life because I trust you. And I trust that your will and your way is better than mine. It doesn't say that God heard his pleadings because he was the son of God. It says he heard his pleadings because of his reverence for God. And, you know, it, it says that Jesus learned obedience. It says that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. How can Jesus learn obedience? Jesus learns obedience because he left heaven. He entered the human order. He put himself under the rule of God. And he obeyed in all that he did. And that's what God is asking us to do, to imitate the life of Jesus, to be willing to suffer. Because if, it, if Jesus learned obedience, he learned what obedience felt like. It's what makes him a compassionate priest. If he learned obedience through suffering, then how much more will we need to learn obedience through suffering? We shouldn't wish away suffering. In James, it says that we should consider suffering pure joy because it refines us. It gives us a greater confidence in what we hope for. It matures us. And that's what we're going to talk about next. Spiritual maturity, chapter 5, verse 11, all the way to chapter 6, verse 12 through chapter 6 through 12. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about spiritual maturity. And in verses 11 through 14 of chapter 5, it can actually count, kind of sound harsh. Like the writer of the Hebrews is reprimanding the people. He's telling them they're dull of hearing and they need to grow up and, you know, kind of like stop eating the cereal and start eating the eggs and the bacon. And, and he talks about spiritual food. We talked about last week that our spirits get nourished through the word of God. And if we're going to understand this text, we have to understand context. 
we have to remember the context that we studied in the beginning of this book, in the introduction. And that told us that the Hebrews of this time were tempted to return to their old ways. You see, it was okay to be Jewish during this time, but it was not okay to be Christian. And so they were taking basic teachings of Christ in verses one through three of chapter six, all the things that are mentioned there are things that could keep them safe. It was a safe version of Christianity because all of those things, all of those things listed there are things that could easily fit into Jewish tradition if they were just kind of turned a little bit. And we can't turn Jesus and we can't take Jesus out of the picture. He is the way, he is the truth. He is our way and our only way of salvation. And it doesn't come through our works or our tradition or our religion. It comes through what we believe. And it says there in verse four, for it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit and who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come and who then turn away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting, again, the Son of God. They themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up in public shame. There's lots of theological debate about these verses and exactly what it means. And we're not going to get into a debate, but I just want you to encourage you to consider it this way. If the Hebrews, the Jewish believers of this time, were turning back to their old religious ways and they were keeping Jesus out, then they were turning away from God. They were turning away from the way of salvation. And how these verses, what these verses are challenging us to consider is that we could actually experience these things, but always not grasp truly what salvation is, which is faith in Jesus Christ and nothing else. It's not what we do. We can't accomplish our own salvation. But it is possible to be in the midst of all of these things, these wonderful things that God has to offer and not grasp that the cross covered it all. Not to grasp that it's not by our works. It's not by what we can accomplish here on earth, but it's about what we believe and how we love God. Because when we love God, the works come out. That They come out of us. We serve and we love in the way that God desires. And this is a message for us. This is a message for us because the culture around us accepts certain things. And I wonder if there's places where we can get caught in the trap of conforming Jesus to what the culture would accept. You know, the culture says, love people. The culture says, serve people, take care of people. But when you say, Jesus is the way of salvation and the only way to God, then we get a little less popular. Are we willing to go there? Are we willing to share the one and only true way to salvation? You know, I was in the grocery store the other day and I was checking out and I noticed that the cashier and some of the other cashiers around just seemed a little down. And I felt God whisper in my heart to speak a blessing over her and to tell her that he loved her. And I kind of started like a tape recording in my mind, just trying to hear God a message that he wanted to deliver to her. And the message was, is that to speak a blessing of provision and well health over her life and to let her know that Jesus loves her, that God sees her and Jesus loves her. And all of that was great up to the point Jesus loves her because that's the point where my mind started to question, well, what if she's offended? There's a person behind her. What if they're offended? And then my heart was quickened. If I didn't tell her that Jesus loves her, I leave out the truth. And so I told her after she finished ringing my groceries and 
had everything packed up, I told her, before I go, I want to tell you something that's on my heart right now. I want to speak a blessing of provision and well health over you. And I want you to know that God sees you and that Jesus loves you. And you could just see in her countenance, her receiving everything I was saying in that moment. It wasn't me speaking. I was an ambassador for Christ. He was making his beckoning through me. And the woman behind her said, amen. And that is the truth, truth that we need to walk in because we believe. And that truth comes out of us when we love God, when we seek him and his righteousness. It says in Matthew, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Because when we love God, we speak the truth, we serve, we love, we do the things that God has called us to do. Not because we have to, but because we love him and we desire to serve him. Verses 13 through 17, it talks about God's promise and God's oath. In the first four verses there, it talks about the promise that was made to Abraham. And in verse 15, it says, Abraham waited patiently and received what God had promised. That is a message for us that if we wait patiently, we will receive what God has promised. And he has shown us again and again, even as we've studied the book of Hebrews, that he is faithful, that through the Israelite people, he was writing a story. And that story led to Christ, Christ who was born, who lived a perfect life, died, entered heaven for us to receive the way of salvation that he planned before creation, before it ever began. And so if he can accomplish that, and we can see that the promise given to Abraham came true, then we can hold to the hope of the promise that he has given us. We'll close with this. We'll pick up midway through verse 18. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. The hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone there for us. He became our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Your last and final fill in the blank is we have an anchor. And that's why I have an anchor here tonight. You know, I like visuals. I like you to get a visual. I want you to remember this anchor When you're worried, when you're uncertain, I want you to remember, oh yeah, that anchor, he's an anchor for my soul. But here's the thing, this anchor does not go down, right? Like if you're on a boat, the anchor goes down. But Jesus went down, but then he rose again. Our anchor goes up and we're tethered to it and it holds us up. We continually have a firm place that we are anchored to. In the time that this was written, Anchors did not look like this. And I know that anchors don't look like this now. They're even a little more modern. But back then, they had a rock. A rock was their anchor. And it had a string tied to it. You know, it was real ingenuitive. And they threw it over and it held the boat in place. And what's so fascinating about this is that in Psalm 62 too, it says, He alone is my rock and my salvation. And in Psalm 42, it says, He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a place to stand. You see, Jesus, he has us anchored in heaven and he's lifting us up. When the craziness is going around us, when it feels like a storm, our feet are planted and we are anchored into heaven. 
Matthew 16, 18, Jesus told Peter, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What was the rock? The rock was the profession of Peter's faith. And on the profession of Peter's faith, God would build the church. And in 1 Peter 2, Jesus is called the living stone. And not only is he called the living stone, but it says you yourselves are like living stones. You are being built up into a spiritual house. And here it is again, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So you see, we have become like living stones. We have become like anchors. And we get to make sacrifices to God. We get to offer up our lives as a living sacrifice to Him, reconciling those who have went astray, extending His mercy and His kindness and His grace. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that you are the rock of our salvation. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our compassionate high priest. We can come to you boldly and find mercy. You offer us grace. God, let us walk in that this week. Let us hold firmly to the hope. Let us remain confident in you in the middle of all of this, God. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for how you're going to show up. Give us eyes to see your mercy in the days to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening. We hope that this podcast encourages you to live out your faith more bravely. B1 Studies is a part of Brave Girls Gather, a nonprofit ministry that exists to empower the next generation to bravely live out the wonder of their purpose. If you would like to see us continue to make accessible tools for faith communities around the globe, you can give at the link in the podcast description or go to bravegirlsgather.com forward slash give for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with your friends by clicking the share button.